0: Well, that ought to be our prayer. It's fitting that we begin our night uh, singing a song like that. Because what we are talking about tonight is the thought of vision. It's the thought of appetite, the thought of what drives you. It's, it's the thought of what, what are you pursuing. Seek whatever feels right. Pursue whatever appeals to you. If you desire it, then go after it. That's the message of our world. When it comes to vision, that's the message that we hear day in and day out. You do you. Pursue whatever appeals to you. Who am I to tell you what you can and cannot find appealing? Who am I to tell you that you cannot pursue what you find appealing? These are the sorts of mottos of our day and our age. But I think as Christians, most of us here, I I think most of us would agree that uh, we should not conduct our lives in that sort of a way. I think we all recognize that as Christians, we have been called to resist the temptation of running after our appetites, desires, Christ has called us to master our bodies and to master our desires. And as followers of Jesus, we must pursue the things that that God calls good and the things that God calls lovely. Even though at times we assume that uh, we know what is good and what is lovely. But when we're honest with ourselves, often the things that we think are good are the things that God does not approve of. Often the things that we call lovely are the things that God despises. In the book of Judges, uh, we have tonight a picture of what happens when a man pursues whatever he finds to be appealing. We've seen this over and over throughout the, the course of our time in the Judges. Really, this book is about Israel doing whatever they seem fit whatever seems fit in Israel's eyes. And I hope that you've picked up on the fact that as we've studied this, we've, we've seen that God's people, when they pursue the things that they deem fit, and when they pursue the things that just appeal to their appetites, it typically leaves them in a horrible place, time and time again. The more Israel did uh, or does what seems right in their own eyes, the worse the nation is. So in chapter 13, we stumble across a man named Samson. He is, in a lot of ways, the epitome of Israel during this time. He is a one-person representative of the entire nation. He pursues whatever he happens to crave at any given moment, and he suffers the consequences for it. So as we read... I think this story in particular, this is probably the famous, most famous story in the book of Judges, Samson, this strong man uh, who's very powerful. Uh, what we need to recognize, though, as we read this story is ultimately this is not a story about Samson. Ultimately, this is a story about God who graciously deals with an immoral man and an immoral nation. This is a story about God's patience with his people. This is a story about God's patience with this specific individual who does whatever he sees fit in his own eyes. The story begins in chapter 13 with Samson's birth being promised. Let me read the first five verses of chapter 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man named Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink or eat nothing unclean for behold you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall uh, come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So these these first five verses really summarize the entire chapter. This is all that really happens in chapter 13. In fact. Basically, the rest of the chapter is this woman then goes to her husband, tells her husband verbatim what the angel just told her, and then the angel comes to both of them and repeats himself. So it's really, these five verses are the entire chapter. So what do we do with these verses? What do we actually take away from this? I think there are three lessons from this, this specific chapter. For one, notice God is coming to a barren woman with promises that he will save Israel through this coming son. Now, typically, when we hear about a vision like this in Scripture, our ears should perk up, our eyes should widen, because these sorts of things don't happen often. And typically, when these sorts of things happen, it's at a very unique, critical point in the Scriptures. So think, think for a moment. Abraham and Sarah promised a son, even though Sarah was barren. You have Hannah and her son Samuel. Hannah's barren. She's promised a son. Samuel is the the prophet who leads Israel into uh, the time of having a king. You have John the Baptist and his mother Elizabeth. Elizabeth is barren. She has a son, John the Baptist. Another related story, obviously, can't forget this one. It's Mary. She's not barren, but she's a virgin. All of these stories are happening at critical moments. The The time in which these are taking place, it's a very critical moment in Israel's history. Something massive is about to happen. The person who's about to be born, the son who's about to be born, is someone very important. And then this happens with Samson. What is the Lord up to? We will see. Another important observation from these verses, verses that we need to point out is... Uh, that there's no point in this, this story so far where Israel is calling out to God. So remember the point, or the, the, the cycles that we've talked about in the book of Judges. We see the cycles over and over again, and in all of the cycles, what happens? Israel indulges in sin, Israel's enemies begin to rule over them, Israel cries out to God, and God comes to the rescue. That's the typical story of the Judges, cycles over and over again. But notice here, you don't see Israel crying out to God. You don't hear about the people overwhelmed by their situation. Here, God is acting for his people even when they neglect to look to him. That's pretty fascinating, is it not? God is the one who is acting in this story. You don't even have the people of Israel crying out to God. God just comes and he initiates this moment of redemption for Israel before they even raise a cry to him. Okay, last thing that we need to note from this introduction to Samson's life is the fact that this angel comes and starts talking about this thing called a Nazarite vow. I don't know if you picked up on that. Maybe you were thinking, what, what's a Nazirite? What, like, what is that even coming from? Where's that coming from? It's coming from Numbers chapter 6. So there's a Nazirite vow in the scriptures. It's essentially that uh, these certain men would devote themselves to the Lord, and as they were devoting themselves to the Lord, they would not eat of the vine, they would not drink of the vine. In other words, they, would, they wouldn't drink any wine. Uh, they, they weren't allowed to touch or eat anything that was defiled, you cannot touch a, a dead animal. You cannot eat anything that's defiled. Uh, it's pretty strict in that way. Uh, the, the, the food they were allowed to consume was pretty strict. And third, they were not allowed to cut their hair during the vow. So this wasn't necessarily a lifetime commitment for, for every Nazarite, or every, every individual who wanted to partake in the Nazarite vow. But for Samson, the unique thing is, is that this is supposed to take place throughout the course of his entire life. He's supposed to be committed to God in this way. Now, with all of that said, it seems as though Samson is going to walk onto the scene and he's going to be a great guy, right? I mean, he's a Nazarite vow follower keeper guy. He's, he's the son of a barren woman who's received a vision from an angel, Not only an angel, but the angel of the Lord. Seems like he's going to be a guy that we all want to look up to. Okay, let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up, and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Okay. There's a lot here. Samson tells his parents he wants a Philistine for a wife. Why? Because she looks good to him. She's appealing. She's not an Israelite. She's not righteous, as we will see. She just looked good. That's about it. Samson knew what he liked. He knew what was appealing to him. And this is a problem that not only Samson has, but all of this nation, the entire Israelite nation, has this same problem. They do whatever seems right in their own eyes. The Philistines, they were known for their wickedness. Wickedness. They were known for their idolatry. And, and not only that, but what did we just learn in chapter 13? The Philistines during this time were ruling over Israel. They were oppressing Israel. And yet, he wants a Philistine for a wife. This is a temptation that men have when it comes to women. Men want women who appeal to the eye. And sometimes that's all men want, to their detriment. Sometimes men will prove that the only thing they care about is the looks. So ask yourselves a couple of questions. Are you willing to sacrifice character qualities in a woman... If she physically appeals to you, do you care about her character? Are you concerned with her maturity or her love for the Lord? Here's the thing. If only men were as quick to sacrifice their desire for a woman with good looks as they are quick to sacrifice their desire for a woman with godly character. Samson proved he was not that type of man, willing to make that sort of sacrifice. He wanted a woman with looks, not a woman with character. He wanted a woman that would be fun to sleep with, not a woman that he could worship with. He wanted a woman to bring to bed, not a woman to bring to church. That's, that's what Samson wanted. So, with all of that said, let's not lose sight that women often struggle with similar things. Women will also sacrifice character in a man because they are seeking something else from that man. Maybe it is his looks, his abs or whatever, right? I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's his success, though. Maybe it's his attention that, that he shows you. Maybe it's the protection that you think he will offer you. Maybe it's the emotional support you think he will provide you. Just caveat, that, that, that's not going to happen. Typically men are not like the great emotional supporters. Okay, um, but just because we're talking about men here, we're talking about Samson here, we cannot lose sight of the fact that this is a struggle that all people deal with. Everyone deals with the same exact type of thing. We look for others to do for us in a relationship something other than encourage us towards godliness. But our first priority in a relationship should be that that other individual has godly character and seeks after Christ. We should not be a people driven by what we see. Okay, let's keep reading because, just to forewarn you, things start to get really weird. Okay, Samson, he's now in a vineyard, and he kills a lion with his bare hands. Verse 5. Then Samson went down to his father and mother, to Timnah, and they came to a vineyard, or the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came towards him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and there was honey. And he scraped it out into his hands, and went on eating, eating as he went. Right, like, I mean, you're like, wait, what? that's weird. Everything about this is odd. What does this have to do with him seeking this woman who is appealing uh, to his eyes? Actually, this seemingly random story is very, very important. First off, notice the context. Where is he when this happens? He's in a vineyard. What's what's the Nazarite vow? Do not eat or drink from the vine. Okay, so it's very clear the author here is just, he's just offering a little hint. What's he doing just hanging out in a vineyard? He's breaking the Nazarite vow. And then not only that, uh, we also see here that he goes to this lion after just, manhandling it and ripping it into pieces, Uh, he comes back to it a couple days later and he reaches inside the carcass to grab this honey. Again, what was part of the Nazarite vow? Do not touch or eat anything that is defiled. He wasn't supposed to touch dead carcasses. That was part of the Nazarite vow. And yet, he doesn't seem to care. Honey, looks good to the eye. I see those bees over there. I want it. I'm going to go get it. And yet, all the while, God still plans to use this man. God still uses Samson to deliver Israel from the Philistines, even though, in this story, he's breaking all of the vows he was supposed to have made to the Lord. I mean, look at verse 4. This, this is pretty clear. Right after uh, Samson comes to his father and says, I want her... This is what verse 4 says. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. You see, God determined that he was going to use Samson to deliver Israel even though Samson was lustful and arrogant and noncommittal. God intended to use a disobedient man in order to deliver his disobedient bride, Israel. Again, further proof. God is the main actor here, not Samson. This is a story about God's willingness to save his people from their sin, even though they are so prone to return to their sin. But but that's the gospel. That is the gospel. God saves wretches like us simply because he has chosen to do so. He could have left us dead in our sins, and yet he didn't. That's the gospel. And now uh, we are going to see how God uses Samson, this sinful man, to save a sinful nation. Here's the basic story. This is post-eating of the honey. Samson throws a party. Lo and behold, to no one's surprise, the people at this party are a bunch of Philistines. That's who he hangs out with, right? That, those are his people, even though he is an Israelite. And so he makes a bet with these people at the party, and he tells them a riddle. He tells them, uh, if you can figure out this riddle, I will give you a bunch of linen and a bunch of pieces of clothing. If you can't figure out this this riddle, you owe me linen and you owe me clothing. I, I We don't typically barter with like clothing pieces, but hey, he did. Uh, here's the riddle, verse 14, chapter 14. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. I kind of like how the ESV makes it rhyme. Um, <laughs> didn't rhyme in Hebrew, but you know, it's kind of cool. Well, so here's here's the thing. The Philistines at this point, they're like, okay, we'll do this deal with you. And then he tells them the riddle, and they're like, what is that? They have nothing. And he gives them until the end of this party, which is like a week-long festival. He gives them until the end of the party in order to answer the riddle. Well, here's where things get interesting. These men are frustrated that they have no clue how to answer this riddle, and so they go to Samson's wife, and they seek help from her. So they, they threaten her, and they tell her, you need to give us the answer to this riddle. And so his wife deceives Samson, and then she goes and tells the Philistines, the answer to the riddle and so now we have samson who just lost a bet and he is very mad and so what he does is he goes and he strikes down 30 men and he takes all of their clothing off their back and he goes and gives it to the philistines here you go here's your here's your clothing that i promised you meanwhile look at verse 19 in a hot anger he went back to his father's house verse 20 And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Interesting twist to the story, right? So now Samson just went, he killed a bunch of Philistines in order to pay off the Philistines he made a bet with. Now his Philistine wife has been given to his best man, probably a Philistine, um, and Samson is back home with his father. But this is really just the beginning of the story. As we move into chapter 15, what we see is Samson just begins to rage on the Philistines. That's pretty much the whole chapter. Samson going ham on the Philistines. So, verse 1, after some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go to my wife in the chamber. Uh, go into my wife, just just so we're clear. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. I mean, you did just leave her after all, right after the wedding. Uh, so I gave her to your companion. And then, then her father's like, is not her younger sister more beautiful than her? I mean, that, that's kind of a jerk dad move. Uh, Take her instead. Well, Samson gets mad now. He gets mad And so he basically goes and he burns down all of the Philistines' grain. Verse 3, Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. I don't know how he did that. And he took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each of their tails And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, and he set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. So, I mean, clearly, at this point, all we know really about Samson is that he he loves women, he is very angry, and he has a unique ability with animals. (laughs) So... (laughs) He, he rips a lion apart with his bare hands and now he's catching 300 foxes in what seems to be a pretty short period of time. Um, and then he lets them burn this city down pretty much. So this, as you would expect, enrages the Philistines. So now the Philistines, they want to, you know, retaliate and uh, they kill Samson's wife and her father because obviously it was their fault, you know, that this whole thing was was on them. So They burn Samson's wife and his father-in-law alive because in the book of Judges, everyone gets burned alive, as you've seen over the last few weeks. It's pretty weird. Uh, This leads Samson to grow even more angry, and so now we're kind of in like a tit-for-tat, like battle between the Philistines and Samson. Uh, They just killed his wife, so he goes and he kills all of the men who just killed his wife and his father-in-law, and then he goes and hides. He hides away from the Philistines up in Israel. So the Israels, uh, or the Philistines now come looking for Samson. They find a bunch of Israelites, and they say, where's, where's Samson at? We want him. And the Israelites, they come and find Samson. Samson's hiding in this rock, essentially. He looks at the Israelites, and he says, are you going to deliver me to them? They go, yeah. He goes, you aren't going to harm me, are you? They go, nope. So he pretty much lets them tie him up. And so he walks with the Israelites back to the, uh, the Philistines. Verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arm became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, And he put it, (laughs) it's just a weird story. And he put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. (laughs) It's like, he likes riddles, he likes poems, apparently. Um, And as soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. Okay, (laughs) okay. So Samson obviously has unique abilities. He's an ultimate warrior, you know, incomparable with anyone else. Here he killed a thousand men with a donkey jawbone. Uh, Right. But, you know, it's easy to just get very impressed by his strength here. Because it's pretty impressive. But I, again, notice... The details here. We have to pay attention to the details. Notice how many times it talks about this donkey head and, and its jawbone and it talks about Samson's hand touching the jawbone. He put his hand out and he took it. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand just to make it clear as day that he was touching this dead carcass jawbone. And uh, again, he's breaking his Nazarite vow. He's not keeping in tune, in touch with his Nazarite vow, which told him he could not touch anything unclean. Here, his weapon of choice is a jawbone, though. So he's not keeping the vow. The story is not about how great Samson is. As we're starting to pick up, Samson's not that great of a guy. He's not a man of of great faith at this point. He's a man that we should not stand in awe over. We should stand in awe of the fact that God has decided to use this man in order to save Israel. That's what's actually awesome about this story is that God has chosen this guy, this guy of all men, to save his people from the Philistines. His faith is fickle. We have more proof of that in verse 18. Look at verse 18. This is right after he just struck down a thousand men. He says, it says, uh, And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow, of the, uh, uh, of the hollow place that is Lehi, and water came out from it and when he drank his spirit returned and he revived. Okay, again, you're like, this is a random like what in the world? All of a sudden rock or, or just water's pouring forth from this rock? What's going on here? If you remember, this story is remarkably similar to an Old Testament story. You remember the story right after Israel was Rescued from the Egyptians. I mean, they just saw God act in a remarkable way. Now they're out in the wilderness. God has been feeding them with, I don't know, falling. We were joking about this the other day. Falling frosted flakes or something. It's just like showing up on the ground every morning, miraculously, and they're eating it. And then they get really upset because they're thirsty. And they say, God, what? what? You just let us out here to die, didn't you? And then... God opens up a rock and begins to offer them water through a rock. That's exactly what's happening here. right? This passage is literally just showing us that Samson is just like the unfaithful Israelites who were in the wilderness, who ended up being prevented from entering into the promised land because of their unfaithfulness. Samson's just like them. He's complaining to God. He's doubting God right after seeing God do something absolutely miraculous. And God responds graciously. God provides him uh, water in a miraculous way. Just all of a sudden, a spring just appears. And Samson's able to drink. You know, at this point, It's clear God is showing his faithfulness even in spite of this man's unfaithfulness. Think about it for a moment. Samson is rescuing Israel from the Philistines in God's eyes. In Samson's eyes, all he is doing is getting revenge. Because he's in a you know tit for tat argument with these people. You killed my wife, okay, I'm gonna burn your town down. So it's really for him, it's just all personal. And yet, in God's eyes, he's saving Israel from their enemies. God is profound in that way. God is working in such a a mysterious way throughout the story of Samson's life. Well, let's keep going because now we see that uh, Samson's eyes continue to get him in trouble. Look at chapter 16. Here in chapter 16, uh, things don't get much better. This is the conclusion of Samson's story and the, the conclusion of Samson's story begins in verse 1 of chapter 16. Samson went down to Gaza. Again, let me just point out here he's, he's going back into Philistine territory and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her and the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill in front of Hebron. So he just rips a city gate out of the ground, puts it on his shoulder, and hikes up a mountain. You're not going to kill me, you know. <laughs> How about this? Dumb ambush. Uh, so, um, again, his eyes keep putting him in these horrible situations. His, his eyes are leading him to Lust. And are leading him to follow his lustful cravings into horrible situations. His cravings for sex have gotten the better of his judgment yet again. But God hasn't left him. God is still supplying him with strength for some reason. God is still using him. God's purposes stand even in the face of, of Samson's disobedience. And you would hope that at this point, Samson would have gotten the point. Okay, I probably shouldn't go back to the Philistines, and I definitely shouldn't go and try to, you know, sleep with their women. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. This is the story that you're probably familiar with. If you've heard, you know, Anything about Samson, this is probably the story you know. Samson and Delilah. This is the most famous story. So let's jump into this saga. If you remember, verse 3, Samson, he just went up this hill to Hebron with this huge gate on his back, by the way. But Hebron was a Jewish city. It was up on top of this hill. And now, as we come to verse 4, we find out he loves this woman And the text kind of leaves it ambiguous. Who is this woman? And then it mentions she's in the valley. So he went up the hill. He's with the Israelites. And now he's going back to the valley. And as we find out, he's going to another Philistine woman. And he's walking right back into sin. He allows his eyes to lead him instead of allowing God to lead him. And just like last time uh, that this happened, the Philistines, they want to use this woman to get to Samson. So again, they bribe her. They say, we're going to give you a bunch of money if you will tell us where Samson's strength lies. So now they've kind of changed their tactic. Right? Instead of you know, just trying to ambush him. They're like, we need to figure out how this guy is so strong because there's something about this man that's not normal. He rips gates out of the ground and then climbs mountains with the gate on his back. That's not normal. So where does his strength lie? Look at verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines, they came up to her, that's Delilah, and they said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah asks Samson to reveal his secret to her. He tells her that if uh, he were bound with fresh bowstrings, that he would be proven powerless. So she, with Samson's permission, I guess, binds him with bowstrings, and then she yells to. Samson, watch out, the Philistines are upon you. They're like in her bedroom or something at this point, it seems. And all of a sudden, Philistines just jump out of an inner chamber, as the text says. And uh, they surround Samson. Well, he breaks the bowstrings off. Again, it says they turned into flax, and they, it was like fire burned them, and they, they just fell off of him. So, at this point, you know Samson has to know that Delilah just set him up. Remember last time that happened, Samson found out that uh, they were i i 'm not just saying this this is what the this is what Samson says he says you 've been meddling with my heifer um, after they kind of like figured out from samson 's wife what the answer to the riddle was so last time he got really mad when that happened, he went and You know, he got himself in a lot of trouble by burning their city down and all this stuff, right? Uh, Well, here, he doesn't really respond in that way. No, the next scene is just him hanging out with Delilah again, just laying in bed, shooting the breeze, like nothing ever happened. And uh, Delilah's still trying to figure out where Samson's strength is, and Samson is playing along with it. He's blind, he is utterly blind. He's still with her. His craving for sex has completely jeopardized all of his judgment. He doesn't even care about his own safety, it seems. And so he uh, he just says, okay, yeah, you want to know where my strength lies? Get some new ropes. Bind me in new ropes, and uh, that'll do the trick. But, again, she binds him with ropes. I don't know if he allows her this time, uh, she, she binds him with ropes, and then same thing. These men jump out of the inner chamber, and she yells, the Philistines are upon you, and uh, it doesn't work again. Next scene, same exact scenario. It's getting a little odd at this point, right? She asks, where does your strength lie? And uh, she's really upset at this point because he keeps lying to her. It's like, Samson should be the one upset. You're trying to, like, kill me. Well, he tells her, okay, braid my hair. Put a pin in my hair, braid it, and that'll, that'll do it. Another ambush follows, another ambush fails. And we finally get to the point in verse 15 where she says to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. So instead of leaving her, he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Finally, he tells her, Finally, he comes clean. He expresses where his strength lies. He tells her about this vow, the Nazarite vow, that he's kept since he was a child. And he tells her how God has given him strength ever since. This is a perfect picture of the way our sin will spiral. He's blinded by his sin. His eyes have led him astray and now he is utterly blinded to what is good for him. He can't see straight. His desire for sex has led him to forsake God. His desire to sleep with this woman and to be with her has led him to forsake his own safety. I mean, his hair at this point is the only part of the Nazarite vow that he hasn't broken yet. And now he's given it it away. He's Hung out in vineyards at this point. He's, you know, eating honey out of lion carcasses. He's fought people with a jawbone of a donkey. And now he's about to lose his hair. So uh, the story goes, for whatever reason, Delilah gets him to fall asleep, uh, like on his knees, I think is the exact language it uses. And then she cuts his hair. She cuts his hair. And then again, the men jump out and they ambush him. And at this point, his strength fails him. He has no strength left. He has f- forgotten that uh, God is his source of strength. I actually think that when Samson was telling Delilah this about his hair, I really think he he thought at this point, ah, you know, like, yeah, I, I have hair and uh, I know I've taken this vow, but I'm going to be strong whether or not I have my hair. He He doesn't really trust that God is the source of his strength at this point. He thinks that he actually is the source of his strength. Sin causes us to neglect God. It causes us to forget God. When we indulge in sin... We, we leave our appetite for God out the window. And he is proof of this. He's proof that he has forgotten God and that sin causes us to forget God. Look at verse 20. Right after Delilah sets a trap and Samson falls asleep and she cuts his hair and the Philistines rush upon him, here we really do see Samson's heart just fully exposed. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as at every other time and shake myself free but he did not know the lord had left him at this point it's clear he he really thinks he was the source of his strength he tries to resist but god's spirit does not rush upon him this time samson's faith was not in god up to this point in his life his faith was ultimately in himself he didn't even really believe that God was the one who gave him his strength. He thought, yeah, whatever, I can break my vow. It doesn't matter. I will still have all the strength in the world. And this leads to the final section of our passage. Finally, Samson expresses true faith. Verse 23 in chapter 16. I'm just going to read the, the entire end of the chapter. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him uh, by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. I haven't mentioned this yet, but at this point, Samson's eyes have been gouged out of his head. They took him prisoner, they gouged his eyes out says, now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leans his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the, uh, the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashtala in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He judged Israel 20 years. So finally, at the very end of Samson's life, we see him demonstrating an element of sincere faith. He looks to God for strength in this moment. This is the first time we even hear about Samson praying. This is the first time we hear about him looking to God for anything. And it's in his final moment of life. Notice that he is a man blinded by his sin. And he's a man who's blinded by his sin because his eyes lead him into sin. His eyes continually lead him into disobedience. His eyes eventually... Uh, lead him to the point of his death. His eyes even led him to think that he was the source of his strength, not God. But once Samson loses his sight, he finally begins to see with spiritual eyes. For the first time, now that he's physically blind, he is spiritually looking to God. Now he... Finally, at the very end of his life, now that he's he's physically blind, now he is showing faith. When I read Hebrews 11, I do find it really odd and fascinating that Samson is brought up as a man of faith who has gone before us. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced just, justice, obtained promises, so on and so forth. I mean at first, you might think Samson, really, like you're going to bring him up, and I mean I see David, I mean David wasn't perfect, but like David, compared to Samson. His faith was not perfect, it was flimsy, it was absent almost his entire life. And yet, at the very end of his life, he demonstrated true, genuine faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews is referencing. He died with faith. It took Samson to the point of being at his utter end in order to finally look to God with faith. That's what makes God's grace so amazing. God is willing to forgive even the most faulty of men. And God is even willing to use them. God is willing to offer redemption even to men like Samson. I I don't know what you've been struggling with this month or this past week or or even today. But I think the fact that God is willing to show grace to someone like Samson... (laughs) I mean, that gives us a lot of hope. We can be assured that God is willing to show his grace to us. He's willing to forgive us in our time of need. He's willing to offer us forgiveness and, and strength to live a life of faith moving forward. How? How does he do that? He does that through Christ. You see, Jesus is a far better, a far better deliverer when compared to Samson. Jesus was not merely faithful on his final day of life. He was faithful all the way up until his final moment of life. And because of that he offers a far better salvation than Samson was able to offer. I mean Samson, he did offer a brief moment of salvation to the Israelites through that final moment of faith by delivering Israel from the Philistines for a moment but Jesus' abiding faithfulness throughout the course of his entire life has led has led us to the opportunity of receiving everlasting deliverance not just for a moment not just from physical enemies but Jesus has given us the opportunity to experience deliver, deliverance from our our ultimate enemies sin and death and the devil That is what Christ has done for us. Through faith in Christ, we get to receive all the benefits of his faithfulness. His faithfulness granted to us. And as we receive that, we get to experience everlasting deliverance and access to the presence of God. Let's pray.